the United States of America is called a Christian nation. Christian nation. Christian nation. It's time for a moment of clarity with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering. Let us pray that this nation does come to a moment of clarity. Faith, faith, faith. Politics, 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 history, history, and current events. Current events. And now, your host, Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick will be joining you momentarily, but in the meantime, I am Derek Stone with a moment on sports, part one. 75 years ago today, the Detroit Tigers won their second World Series championship in franchise history by obliterating the Chicago Cubs 9-3 in Game 7. Catcher Paul Richards drove in four runs, and Eddie Mayo, Doc Kramer, Skeeter Webb, and Roy Cullenbine each scored two runs to lead the Tigers' offensive barrage, while Detroit starting pitcher Hal Newhauser baffled the Cubs' hitters with 10 strikeouts. Richards doubled to plate Kramer, Cullenbine, and Jimmy Outlaw in the first inning. Six innings later, the Tigers' catcher smashed a double to score Roy Cullenbine. Mayo crushed a double to send home Webb, and he was sent home on a sacrifice fly by Hank Greenberg in the eighth inning. Now here's your Moment of Clarity host, Pastor Rick Dietering. And good afternoon, everyone. Glad you could join us. We do have a guest that will be joining us here in a bit. We were hoping to have her last week, uh, but uh, she was tied up with something else. But we will get to our guest, Catherine Henry, in just a moment. Uh, Last Saturday, we were celebrating the Supreme Court coming against the governor and opening up our state. And then what happened right after that is our governor did an end run around the Supreme Court. And we'll be talking more about this in a bit. Was it actually constitutional or not? Um, my question is, is now that she has, I walked into a, a store the other day and on the sign it said, no shoes, no shirts, no service. And it was by the health department. And so I think this is what she's using it on the basis of uh, now you have to say no shoes, no shirt, no mask, no service uh, designated by the health department or the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. We are governing now in this state by bureaucracy. And um, I don't remember electing anybody to the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. But now apparently they are controlling my life and telling me what we can and can't do. We live in a country that we have accepted it as being part of norm normalcy to be governed by bureaucrats rather than those who we elected. We have given up our rights of human beings of being properly represented and saying, hey, our representatives through these bureaucrats in here to run our lives. Are you people happy with that? I'm really interested. Are you happy with being ruled by a governing class of bureaucrats? Let me know. The phone number is 734-822-1600. And we'll talk about this. And next week, we'll get back into our discussion on, uh, on socialism, uh, critical race theory, uh, critical law theory, critical theory in itself. We'll get all into that next week, but uh, there's questions I have for today's guest, and uh, she's doing some great stuff out there, and we'll be talking to Catherine, Catherine Henry in just a moment. But first, I have to say hello to Derek. Uh, hey, uh, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing pretty good. You know what I'm going to ask you, don't you? 
I'm guessing and, something about curling. Yes. Do you have anything about curling? No, nothing really earth-shattering to report. Sports, then. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's pretty slow right now in curling. <sighs> well, if you ever watch it, <laughs> I'm not going to say there's a whole lot of fast stuff that happens in curling, but I still love it. My guest, or my co-host, Phil Stargell. How you doing, brother Phil? Doing real good, real good. Um, can't have uh, any complaints on a on a cool winter day, or some a uh, cool fall day like today. This is this is uh, Michigan weather. Well, I'll say this. Um, I'll say this, Phil. You can't have any complaints publicly, otherwise you'll end up in a re-education camp. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know, I mean, uh, so I, I I don't complain. I just uh, observe and make comments. <laughs> All right. Well, you keep observing, and uh, speaking of making comments, my other guest, or I shouldn't say guest, co-host, and uh, host of Your American <laughs> something or other. I, I just learned today you had a show. I mean, you tell me every yeah. week, but it finally sank in. <laughs> and thank you for participating today. I appreciate it. You managed to, a, you managed to come off cross okay. I was surprised. Thank you. Yeah, I was surprised that I said yes. So, hey, we both had surprises. <laughs> it was a good show. Good show. And you, you got some, uh, you've got some great listeners calling in. They must be uh, prepping up to come in to listen to my show. So I can 734-822-1600. Yeah. And feel, uh, feel free to call in. And we will have a guest on. So what I'm going to ask, if you call in and you have guests for... Uh, or questions for my guests, uh, give them to Derek, and I will have Derek put them into our chat back and forth because we have so much to cover. And on that note, let me say hello to my wonderful guest. I've been looking forward to talking to her again because I have questions. Uh, Catherine Henry, how are you doing? Oh, pretty tired these days, but I'm hanging in there, and I'm standing in the sunshine right now, so that's a rarity in October in Michigan. Okay, I have some questions. First of all, last week we had a, a, a big celebration going on that the Supreme Court did what was right and they undid the governor's um, orders. And uh, we had attorneys from everywhere calling in saying, hey, the Supreme Court did what was right and uh, what the governor was doing was unconstitutional. And now she does an end run the way I see it around the Constitution by going through the uh, Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. I have a couple questions on that. First of all, I have friends that have lost businesses. Uh, they owned manufactured housing communities uh, in which they could not uh, collect their water bills in which they force them into bankruptcy and force them to sell their businesses. This new, going through the health and human services, can she still control stuff like turning off of uh, utilities, just like she did in her emergency orders? Or is it a little bit different? Um, turning off someone's utilities uh, it should not be okay unless it's uh, done through, you know, the proper channels, if you will, but not related to right. this. Um, you know, the COVID-19 garbage that our government's been throwing at us since March. Um, but to answer your question about is it the end run around uh, what the Supreme Court has done, yes, uh, yes, it pretty much is. So the court was pretty limited in its questions that it was answering. 
The only questions that it was answering are, number one, did the governor's orders actually violate our state law on uh, either the Emergency Management Act of 1976 or the EPGA of 1945? Uh, they found unanimously, 7 and 0, that she did violate the EMA of 1976. Then they answered the question of whether the uh, Emergency Powers of Governor Act of 1945 itself violated the state constitution. And they said in a four to three decision that, yes, it does violate the state constitution because you cannot delegate the powers of the legislative legislative branch and give them to um, the executive branch. Well, Director Gordon of the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services is a member of the executive branch. He works for Whitmer. So what Whitmer cannot do he cannot do. But what's more interesting is that the public health code laws that they're, you know, trying to utilize uh, to further these executive orders now called emergency orders, uh, he's using MCL 333.2253, and that law doesn't allow them to do what they're doing. It, it uh, allows them to do three things, but requiring masks is certainly not one of them. Okay, Ed, you had a question for... For Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Yeah. Uh, I was Hi. listening to the hearings uh, when the uh, Supreme Court, uh, state Supreme Court, was listening to the oral arguments, and I remember Justice Viviano challenging the lawyer for the state, for Whitmer, and he said, why are you using executive orders? And he seemed to be very, very much indicating which way he was going to go on this, but then he said, why didn't you use health orders and health mandates instead, which to me kind of gave her the tip off of what he would accept. Now, you're saying that when they found that executive orders were unconstitutional and she's and the health department is a, a member of the executive branch, I agree with you, but I, I'm concerned that that might not fly with them. What, what do you think of that? Um, I'm concerned, too, because uh, if we look at the four to three decision that made the EPGA unconstitutional, well, it didn't make it unconstitutional. It just um, yeah. redeclared that. But um, what they said was they hammered on this thing called the non-delegation doctrine. And so they talked about all this, you know, there's this case law, another term that I don't like, um, where, you know, cases over time have crafted these different standards where some delegation is okay and some is not. And a lot of the case law that they're talking about is federal case law. So it's federal cases talking about our United States Constitution. A couple things about this. Number one is that the irony of talking about non-delegation of powers is that the judiciary is not allowed to make law. There is no such thing as case law. The founders would be astonished and disgusted to hear us talk about case law. Judges don't make law. But number two... Uh, in looking at the federal constitution, our United States Constitution does not anywhere in there have the word separation of powers or non-delegation or things like that. All we see is Article 1, Article 2, and Article 3 that give each of the branches their appropriate sources of power. But then if we look at our state constitution, which is what this case is all about, this case did not talk about the United States Constitution. Our state constitution, Article 4, Section 1, Article 5, Section 1, and Article 6, Section 1, each go and give us, um, give each of the uh, branches of government their respective powers. But then we need to remember we still have a whole other section, Article 3, Section 2, 
that literally, it's only two sentences, it literally says that the three, uh, that the powers of government are divided into three separate branches, the executive, the legislative, and the judiciary. So it has a separation of powers clause. It's not just a doctrine or a philosophy. The second sentence in there of Article 3, Section 2 of our state constitution says that no one person exercising the powers of one branch of government can exercise the powers of another branch of government. That is a non-delegation clause. Now, what is the difference between a clause and a doctrine? Well, a doctrine is just a, a thought. It's a philosophy. It's a way of thinking about it. A clause is what is actually written, a way that we have to, something we have to abide by. It's part of the contract. It's the very wording of the limitations that we put and placed upon our government officials and told them what they cannot do. Because our whole constitution, our Michigan state constitution, it's, it's simple. In our preamble, it says, We, the people of the state of Michigan, grateful to Almighty God for the blessings of freedom and earnestly desiring to secure these blessings undiminished to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution. Literally, the only thing the government can do in the state of Michigan is to secure the blessings of freedom for us. So to the extent that they are going outside of those bounds and all the different ways that we have crafted um, restrictions upon the government so they cannot take away our freedom, uh, then they don't have the government authority to act anymore. So that was right. something that was really concerning to me, because Viviano is one of them. Markman, Zara, Clement, they didn't get the concept that it's a clause. It's not just some theory. It's written into our state constitution. That brings me to a question from one of our callers. Uh, Diane wanted to know if the director of the Michigan Health Department has the authority to issue an epidemic and enforce a mask mandate. Uh, they certainly do not. So the statute that he's relying on is very similar to the one that the local health departments, like we've heard of Oakland County, and I think it was Livingston and Ingham, um, so the language is almost identical. Same chapter 333, but one is 2253 and one is 2453. It, it allows them to do three things. Uh, number one, I'm actually going to come back to in a second. <laughs> uh, okay. so I'm going to kind of work backwards in the statute. The third one, it allows them to enforce laws that are already on the books. Oh, there is no law on the books that, that requires us to wear masks in public, um, to be socially distant from each other, to be, you know, have contract tracing used against us when we go into, uh, you know, services or, or uh, stores or things like that. Um, so they can't, you know, there's no law on the books that does any of that. So that's not applicable here. So we look at the second thing that they're allowed to do. They are allowed to issue orders to ensure the continuity of essential public health services. Well, a service is something that is provided and offered for the benefit of the recipient. Um, so if the state wants to offer masks to individuals, if they want to offer education on COVID-19 and ways to, um, you know, prevent it or to treat it or things of that nature, that would be fine. That would be a public health service. Quite frankly, in a pandemic time, uh, such as it's been called here, um, we need to remember there's other elements, there's other health factors out there. So we need mental health services, increased 
higher than what they were offered before the pandemic. We need, um, you know, supports and services for anger management or, you know, um, um, drugs and alcohol addiction and, and things of that nature. Those would be essential public health services that should be continuing uh, during these times. But even if they want to focus on COVID-19, Again, they can offer things, but they can't require things. So they cannot require us to wear a mask as part of that. So what's the first thing that's in there that I jumped over? Well, this is, about, <laughs> this is the obvious one in a couple ways. They literally, under the language of the law, have the right to prohibit the gathering of people for any purpose. Now, okay, that's pretty, pretty um, simple and plain, right? Uh, and so it has nothing to do with masks. It only allows them to prohibit us from gathering. However, uh, this little thing called the United States Constitution, namely the First Amendment and the Ninth Amendment, as well as our state constitution, Article 1, Section 3, Article 1, Section 4, and Article 1, Section 23, we have the right to peaceably assemble, period. In fact, our state constitution says that we have the right to do so undiminished. We have the right to um, consult for the common good to uh, petition our government for a redress of grievances. We have the right to practice religious, um, you know, our, our religious freedom. In fact, in the state of Michigan, it says that we have the right to worship God according to our own uh, conscience. So not even just how the, these orders are worded to say it has to be at a church, during a particular service, or anything of that nature. That's not what our state constitution allows for. So, and those other two provisions I mentioned, Unenumerated rights, uh, Article 1, Section 23 of our state and uh, the Ninth Amendment of our U.S. Constitution, God gave us all these freedoms. The government didn't give them to us, and we don't have to list every single freedom we have. So the right to breathe fresh air and not be required to wear masks, that's a right that God gave us. We don't have to write it down, and the government still has to protect that right. They have a duty to protect that right under those amendments. So You know, you brought uh, up no. some... You brought just real quick here, a few things. And, and uh, uh, I'll give you the question of Diane, but don't wait to answer it until I, I make my other statement. Diane had a second question. She wanted to know who has the right to issue or declare, I guess, an epidemic in Michigan. So you can think about that for a second. The other thing I wanted to bring up is you brought up the Ninth Amendment. This is an amendment you don't hear much about. You heard a lot of people talking about the Tenth Amendment, the right of the states and everything else. But the Ninth Amendment to me is one of the most important amendments that affects the individual. And very few people know what the Ninth Amendment is. So I'm going to ask you first to answer uh, Diane's question about who has the right to to issue an, ep an uh, epidemic in Michigan. And then let's let's talk about the Ninth Amendment just for a brief moment, if you could. So, um, Eek, the right to basically declare that we have an epidemic. Um, we, we do have um, the right to declare a state of emergency uh, under the, um, the 1976 law. The court did not address whether that law was unconstitutional. Now, I'm telling you that it is unconstitutional because uh, the non-delegation doctrine for starters, uh, not to mention that all of these orders are violating all the rights that we are guaranteed under Article One of our state constitution. Um, but as far as state, you know, specific statutes, um, declaring the epidemic itself might very well be in the purview of the director of the Department of Health and Human Services. But I did see uh, just when I um, 
got to an event today, someone was trying to share with me that the CDC has now downgraded uh, COVID-19 from an epidemic to an outbreak. So uh, with that being said, since they've been hammering from day one on, well, the CDC says, you know, the CDC says you have to wear masks. The CDC says that you have to be six feet apart. The CDC says you can't open classrooms uh, this fall unless, you know, you jump through all these hoops. Well, then we should go with what the CDC says, and this is no longer an epidemic. So, um, I mean, what's good for the goose is good for the gander in, in that sense, isn't it? So, right. Um, but the uh, the Ninth Amendment. What was the specific question about it? Is it what does it say? Uh, what most people don't even know what the Ninth Amendment is, and, and the rights that it protects for the individual. Uh, you never hear anyone speaking of it. You're the first lawyer that I've heard, and I, I'm being literal here, in the last 10 years bring up the Ninth Amendment. And to me, the Ninth Amendment is the one that protects the individual the most. It is. It is. So in the U.S. Constitution, it says the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Now, for us here in the state of Michigan, we... Um, we don't have amendments, so to speak. I mean, I wrote the, the Restore Freedom Constitutional Amendment that we're still trying to get signatures for, so hopefully everybody joins me with that. Um, but they're not numbered. Um, so if you look at Article 1, our entire Article 1 of our state constitution is our Declaration of Rights. If you look at Article 1, Section 23, it says that the enumeration in this constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. So basically the exact same wording. So what does that mean? Well, in our state constitution, we're a little bit more clear on some points than we were in our United States constitution. I think because uh, our framers uh, of the United States constitution, they uh, envisioned a little bit more common sense and a little less evil. <laughs> but um, at any rate, the state constitution, like I mentioned the preamble before, we are given our rights by God. You know, people that believe it or not, that's not the point. Our state constitution is founded, our entire state government it's founded upon the principle that God gave us our liberties, and the only purpose our government is serving is to protect those liberties that were given to us by God. So the, the distinction here is that I've had calls, hundreds, thousands of calls, since this whole COVID-19 thing started, and the main questions I'm getting are, well, where does it say that I have the right to not wear a mask? Where does it say that I have the right to open my business? Where does it say that whatever? Uh, the problem right. is it, most of the time there's not going to be a specific uh, place in the Constitution or in the law where you're giving, given a right because most of our freedoms are not designed to be spelled out and enumerated. They're designed to just exist. God gave us a ton of rights. He created us. We have the right to breathe fresh air without wearing a mask. Um, and so uh, what the Ninth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and Article 1, Section 23 of the state constitution do is to tell the government, by the way, it is your job to protect all of our liberties uh, and to act within the constraints and confines of the rest of the Constitution. And don't forget that just because we didn't list every single God-given liberty, you still have to protect all of them that God gave us. So does that mean, then, that we need to sit around and wait for the Supreme Court to hand down another ruling with regard to what the director of the Department of Health and Human Services is doing? No. Just like all along I've been telling people, don't wait for the Supreme Court to issue something saying that these orders are unconstitutional. Just go about living your lives because 
they didn't give us our rights. God gave them to us, and any uncon- unconstitutional act from a government is it's void. It, we don't even follow it from the word go. So, and, and I say this just in case people don't know. I say this as one of the six attorneys that got to argue this case in front of the Michigan Supreme Court on September 9th. I say this as one of the attorneys who filed a response this week to the governor's motion that she filed in the Supreme Court, where she was asking for the additional 28 days, is what she's actually asking, to be able to keep controlling the people under these clearly unconstitutional orders. So I'm not someone who's just, you know, reading a few things here and there and then sharing what I've got. Okay, Uh, Catherine, that's the music starting. We will continue and then talk about the amendment you're trying to get passed after these messages. Pastor Richard Dietering on Wham. Pastor Rick will be joining you momentarily, but in the meantime, once again, I am Derek Stone with another moment on sports. Baseball Hall of Famer and legendary New York Yankees starting pitcher Whitey Ford passed away at the age of 91 this past Thursday after a lengthy battle with Alzheimer's disease. Ford began his baseball career in 1950 before serving two years in the United States Army during the Korean War. He returned to the Yankees in 1953 and retired in 1967 after recording 236 wins, a 2.75 earned run average, 1,956 strikeouts, and 45 complete game shutouts. The Big Apple sports icon was named an American League All-Star 10 times, and he won one Cy Young Award and six World Series championships. Now here's your Moment of Clarity host, Pastor Rick Dietering. And we are back. We are speaking with our guest, Catherine Henry, attorney. I'll tell you what, most of us, uh, I was debating on whether I wanted to start the segment out this way. I used to know, I used to have a book called 101 attorney jokes and there's lots of them you know it's called outside when you see an attorney when their hands are in their own pocket type stuff um i'm not what you'd call the biggest fan of attorneys in general but if i look back in history i find that there were attorneys in this country and our founding fathers that fought for the people and what was right and some of them were involved in writing our constitution uh some of them were involved in writing our state constitution and i actually think i have found an attorney that uh i not only respect but i like as a person because she takes her job serious as far as trying to protect make sure the constitution protects the people it's supposed to protect so uh Catherine henry i have to tell you uh, you might be the only attorney, and I, I mean, I have friends that are attorneys, but you might be the only attorney that I can say that I like. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I might be the only job. attorney that I say that uh, I like, too. You know, it's, it's a tough crowd out there with attorneys these days. Yeah, it is. And uh, uh, I, I appreciate that you're actually trying to make positive changes, that you're taking a much more pragmatic 
approach. We have some questions and uh, from callers. Um, Joe wanted to know if if case law, if what when you talk about case law, do you mean that to be the same thing as precedence? Yes. Is that what you're? Yes. yes. Unfortunately, though, by by gradually moving from the concept of precedence in a certain situation to the concept or the terminology of case law, then we're led to believe that it is the law on the books, that it is the law of the land. The supreme law of the land is the Constitution. After that, we have uh, those put in place by the legislature properly. So uh, judges are never supposed to be out there. Supreme Court justices are never supposed to be out there creating law. So anyway, that's why I just use that distinction. And then we had a a call from a gentleman by the name of Henry who wanted to know if the Michigan Health, and I'm going to take a shot at this first, then I'm going to give it to you. Can can the Michigan Health and Human Services Department, can they be sued? Henry, I'll say this, you can sue anyone you want, doesn't mean you're going to win. But do you have a leg to stand on in suing them? That I will turn over to the attorney. Yes, 100%. Um, In fact, I've, I've only taken on one paid client since April because, um, well, it was, a, it was a constitutional issue and, and we're just getting started on what we're going to do in his case. But um, the, um, the main reason why I haven't taken on any other clients is because, for me, I want to make sure that we are educating each other. I want to make sure that we're, everybody knows their constitutionally protected freedoms that they know that it's not a, a government of attorneys or politicians, but it's a government of we the people. And that people know, for example, uh, that every single uh, government official is um, required to take an oath under Article 6 of our U.S. Constitution to uphold the U.S. Constitution. And under Article 11, Section 1 of our state constitution, every single person that's an official in government here in the state of Michigan has to take a, that same oath but also then to uphold the U.S. and Michigan constitutions. And even under MCL 15.151, every single employee or representative of a government agency has to take the same oath. So you could be a school bus driver. You could be um, someone that, you know, works in the back office for um, a county building or something of that nature. It doesn't matter. If you work for the state government at all or the county or local governments at all, you have to swear to uphold the U.S. and Michigan Constitution. So, um, anyway, sorry, I could go on forever. <laughs> all right. You have so the basically, right, Henry, uh, yes, to- you you can sue them, and and apparently, um, Catherine Henry has only taken on one paid paid uh, case, and she might be willing to take on a second. I'm not sure, but <laughs> well, uh, I guess sorry, I lost my train of thought there. The reason why I mentioned that is because everybody's coming to me, and the only reason why I haven't done that is not because. There's no case to be had. It's just because I'm only one person. I don't have paid staff. I've been doing all of this on a volunteer basis. I have been living on donations this whole time. So um, I just don't simply have enough people. If I had a whole team of you know attorneys and, and legal secretaries and paralegals and that kind of thing, we would have been filing cases a long time ago. But um, quite frankly, a court case is generally to get all the way up, so to speak, work its ranks through the judicial system, it's probably going to take a couple of years. Well, then, how about in a couple of years, we have something on the ballot that secures our freedom for all Michiganders in a way that we have never before seen, in a way that goes back to the days of when our Constitution was first drafted to begin with. That would be the Restore Freedom Initiative constitutional amendment. 
it does a lot of things. It holds our government officials accountable for the first time in a very, very long time. It, it um, clarifies all of these supposed gray areas where government officials, whether they're in, you know, the executive branch, the legislative branch, or the uh, judicial branch, how they can't hide behind these gray areas and, and claim that they have all this power that they don't have. It clears up all of that. It emphasizes things like uh, we have the right to have open meetings. We don't uh, need an open meetings act anymore because the best parts of that are going to be right in our state constitution. The Freedom of Information Act why should that be a state statute that later can then just be, you know, carved out and given exceptions like it has today with all the, you know, different time frames and the costs that you have to pay? No, the best parts of that statute are going to be solidified right in the Constitution of the state of Michigan. So uh, we have some really great opportunities to secure our freedom through this constitutional amendment. That would be better than trying to sue any individual government entity right now. Yeah. Um, now, we. I was on Ed's show last week. Uh, he's on the show before me, and he had an attorney. What was your friend's name that you had on the air? By the way, he said to say hi to you. Um, David Coleman. Yeah, uh, David Coleman. Uh, he made a point, and I want to just bring up this point he made because you kind of touched on it too, uh, on the governor trying to reach out for an extra 21 or 28 days. And uh, David Coleman said that'd be kind of like saying uh, they found um, – was search uh, and frisk uh, to be unconstitutional doesn't mean that the cops can keep doing it for another 21 days. Once it's unconstitutional, you can't keep doing it. How can she go and ask for 28 more days or 21 more days to continue what they're doing if they said what she is doing is unconstitutional? So here's the thing, uh, and I'm going to try to not bore the listeners with this attorney legalese crap. But the, basically, the, the 21 days that she has is 21 days that she has to file a motion for reconsideration, where she can ask the court to reconsider its decision that it made. If she does not file that within 21 days, then the court will never consider a motion like that from her again. So here's the thing, though. Even if, in the court rule, 7.315, even if she files that motion for reconsideration, that does not stay the effect of what the court has done. It does not put pause on any decision the court has made. But even more so, uh, the court rules are talking about, in that area, they're talking about orders and judgments. That would be uh, basically saying that for those 21 days, the court isn't going to do anything as far as, like, let's say this was a divorce case that made it all the way up to the Michigan Supreme Court, and they're dividing property. Nobody's going to be able to touch the property or do anything with it for that 21 days because the court's not going to issue a final order or judgment until the whole, um, if you want to call it appeal period, but basically the ability to ask the court to reconsider until that time period expires. So in this case, it's not an order or a judgment that we'll see. In fact, we will not ever see a main order or judgment coming out of this case because of its unique nature. It's actually... Um, uh, they, a certified question case that came from the federal court. So the opinions that we got on Friday a week ago are the only thing that we're going to get uh, from this case. So for the governor to try to say, well, in this other scenario, you know, you would wait 21 days. That's not what the what the um, what the rules say or what the court um, precedent has said about, you know, if something is declared unconstitutional. And uh, the Supreme Court clerk has that filed and date stamped. The moment that is date stamped and shared with the public, 
then it's it. It game's on. It's it's unconstitutional. So um, for her to do what she's doing, it's totally disingenuous. I think she ran her mouth in the press conference last Friday telling everybody that she has 21 days, and then it turns out she does not, in fact, have 21 days. So she's trying to save face and quietly um, try to go and and ask the court for permission to have another 21 days while simultaneously attacking the court for making its decision in the first place. So um, right now she's making the actions and she's gone through the uh, uh, Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Um, is that the law of the land? I mean, I, I've seen, like I, I mentioned earlier, I've seen a sign on the door that said, no, shoot, no uh, shirt, no shoes, no service, according to the health department. Can the health department all of a sudden add on to that? I mean, is the no shirts and no shoes, is that even constitutional, let alone <laughs> adding a mask onto it? No, no, but that's a story for another day. But I can tell you the first part of your question. Um, the health department does not get to make laws. Um, we have a law in the books. It's MCL 8.8. Um, it very clearly says in Michigan, there are three ways that we can have laws. So the, the first one is the traditional, um, you know, legislative process where it goes through the legislature, the governor signs it or she vetoes it, and then we have a two-thirds majority. The second way is if we have initiated legislation, which is that 1945 repeal that we got, uh, that people got all kinds of signatures for, not associated with my petition, it's two different things, but right. that was just to take away a law, which by itself is done in a law. And so that, as soon as that goes to a ballot um, of the people, which it doesn't have to anymore with the decision, but anyway, um, that would be considered um, the second way that you can make law in the state of Michigan. The third is executive orders that do one specific thing. They reorganize the executive branch, and the governor then has to, under Article 5, Section 2 of our state constitution, present that executive order to the legislature, and they have essentially 60 days to veto it. Those are the only three things that are considered law in the entire state of Michigan. Why? Well, it's important to recognize Article 4, Section 4 of our United States Constitution requires a Republican form of government. It guarantees to us a Republican form of government. That's a government where we retain the power as the people, and we simply have people representing us in certain capacities. While the capacity of the governor or the Department of Health and Human Services is not to create law. In fact, no um, non-elected official, as you kind of alluded to earlier, no non-elected official should ever be making law. No agency should ever have the power to regulate people unless those people were properly and duly elected. So this constitutional amendment, the Restore Freedom Initiative petition, that's another thing that this does. It totally gets rid of the power of any agency or official whatsoever to regulate the people unless they were properly elected by the people in the first place. Another reason I like it. Go ahead, Ed. You have a question? Well, that, that goes to what you and I were talking about earlier about the administrative state and uh, mm -hmm. the progressive view of how governance should be, the bureaucracy, uh, rule of experts. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit. You, you kind of you. Let's talk about the amendment you want to get pushed through. I, by the way, I have signed. I have signed on to this petition. I think it's a great cause, and I, and I myself, um, if it means anything to anybody out there, am endorsing that. I know there are I got very dear friends that uh, don't like limiting the government that much, 
<laughs> and I think that's the biggest problem is that this might limit the government. But I'm all for limiting the government to just make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do and then make sure that they're not trouncing on my rights. What does your amendment do? We've got about 10 minutes for you to cover that. Oh, I thought you were going to say 10 seconds. Um, okay, so the <laughs> amendment, it, it really, um, first of all, it doesn't do things in general that have not been done before. What it does is it strips away all the extra stuff that's been added to our state constitution uh, throughout the years, throughout the decades, where, like you said earlier, you know, we've just gotten more and more used to the government being able to do things, where we have this bureaucratic state, the fourth arm of government, uh, where they get to tell us what to do even though they weren't elected. And so we become farther and farther distanced from the government. We become disenfranchised, and then we're not paying attention anymore. And so then it happens even more. And so what this does is it reigns all of that in. It's very clear. It, it clears up the separation of powers issue. It clears up the whole concept of, you know, when you have two statutes on the books that are on the same topic, you have to read them together, concepts that should be common sense. Um, you know, topics like, uh, like I mentioned, um, if you are a government official and you are intentionally violating the Constitution, you are found uh, guilty of a misdemeanor the first time. The second time you intentionally violate the Constitution, you are, the, as a government official, that is a felony. You're immediately removed from office. There's no need to get 1.2 million signatures. They remove you from office, and you're prohibited from ever serving in state or local office ever again in the state of Michigan because the people of Michigan deserve better than that. It also, um, like I said, it opens up things like open meetings and uh, the idea of having access to government records and government documents. It, it solidifies and makes sense of our trial courts again. So you have a family court and you have a criminal court and you have a civil court and all of those things. Uh, are going are gonna to make sense to people so they can participate in the court process. They know what's coming. They have a right to defend themselves if they're accused. Um, so this amendment just does so many things. Um, one of the hot-button issues is uh, microchipping or the wearing of masks or other kinds of things uh, as a condition of employment, as a condition to receive goods or services, like at a store. And what this amendment does is, is it secures the person to be able to not um, uh, have to have a mask on or to be microchipped or anything like that, because if it's at all likely to harm your health, uh, through this amendment, no employer and no government agency will be allowed to require that of people. If people want to voluntarily get microchipped or wear a mask, more power to you. It's about the freedom to do that. It, if you want to freely sign up to get this uh, new COVID vaccine when it comes out, great, go ahead and do that. But you cannot and should not be forced to get it. The more that people want control, well, quite frankly, that's not what our whole system of government is founded upon. Uh, our whole system of government, the, the foundational documents, our Constitution, it's not some changing, morphing, meaningless document today. It means exactly what it means today, what it meant, you know, when it was first put in place. So um, all of those kinds of things um, that are in there are done to, again, it's not changing the structure of government. It's not changing the form of government. It's taking away all those extra pieces that were added to to tarnish or dirty or damage the structure and form of government and the purpose of government all along. 
So as long as the government's doing its job to protect our freedoms, uh, this amendment uh, bolsters the ability of the government to do just that. Here's a question I have on this, because I have a big pet peeve about uh, bureaucratic regulations uh, that are passed, not necessarily through the legislative process, whether it be through the DNR or whatever they call themselves now, uh, EGL or Department of Education, where you have these regulatory commissions that come through and start making regulations that don't necessarily go through legislation, like the EPA or something like that. Is there a difference between a regulation set by these groups and, and law? Um, absolutely, because law is something, like I said, that meets that definition of one of those three things. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. we do have some laws on the books right now that purport to give these regulatory agencies the right to make these rules and regulations that have the same force and effect of law. So they're being treated like they're laws. But that is a delegation of power, and that kind of delegation of power is not acceptable. So if the legislature makes a law that allows part of the executive branch uh, to, um, let's say the DNR, to make their own rules and regulations, uh, they're not allowed to do that because they're a member of the executive branch. And as we talked about earlier, we have that separation of powers and non-delegation. We have those clauses uh, that are written literally right into our state constitution. So... Um, Currently on the books, the way that courts deem it as precedent and what's acceptable, yeah, we have a lot of people that we have to convince uh, to get back to the actual meaning of the constitutions. We've got a hard road ahead of us, but that's okay because we have God on our side. And he yep. tells us things like in Second Timothy 1 through 7 that he didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of love, of power, and of a sound mind. So if we keep that in mind, uh, we can go through and we can work together and we the people can rein all this in so we don't have the DNR or we don't have any of these other licensing and uh, regulatory agencies that are trying to regulate we the people. They can regulate the government all they want. They can't regulate us. So, and and um, will the amendment that you are proposing, will, will that, that kind of get a handle on, on this regula regulatory buildup of laws in our society? Oh, yes, uh, absolutely. In fact, not only is there a provision in there that spells out that no government agency or um, official is allowed to do anything to regulate the people unless they're duly elected to do so. But then there's other provisions in there that spell out what laws are and what laws aren't. And so when you have a law to regulate the people, well, the Constitution is the framework with which uh, we live um, under, right, um, as a society together. Um, and we have... Um, you know, laws that are properly passed through the legislature, but any sort of administrative regulations, any executive orders, any internal um, operating procedures of a government office, that is not stuff that we, the people, can be regulated by. So that is specifically laid out as an exclusion to the way that we, the people, can be regulated. In fact, if the government wants to regulate us from now on, uh, in order to do so, in order to pass a properly uh, constitutional law in the state of Michigan, they're going to have to get a two-thirds majority, not just if the governor vetoes. Any time that they want to regulate the people, they're going to have to get a two-thirds majority. And even if they want to do so, in order to apply that to a specific person, if the government wants to, to if they're seeking to deny us of our life, our liberty, or our property in any way, 
they're going to have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt in order to do so that it's necessary because we are, in fact, trying to deny somebody else of their life, their liberty, or their property. And that's not just in a criminal setting. Uh, that yeah, is in I, every day, all the standards, every single possible way. The government cannot take away your life, liberty, or property without proving beyond a reasonable doubt that it's necessary because you are doing that to somebody else. And, and I'm going to bring this up because this is going to be an issue a lot of people are going to be hearing about people of faith over the next week uh, with, with the Supreme Court Justice nominee. Um, you mentioned God a few times. And, and by the way, uh, Catherine, I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I really am. Uh, and the, they, I've actually had, after you were on last time, saying, well, you know, she keeps invoking God as uh, giving our rights and everything else. You know, that's not you who's saying that God gives us our rights, even though you may believe that, as I do. Um, our state constitution says that those rights come from God. That is our state, our law, Right. Yes, the highest law of the land, our state constitution, says that Almighty God gave us our blessings of freedom. And that is the whole reason why we made our constitution, is to secure those very blessings of freedom. So, you're right, I agree with it, but I didn't write it. On that note, the music's gone. Catherine, you're always welcome to come back on my show. Just let me know when and where. (laughs) It's always going to be Saturdays at 2. Thanks a lot, Catherine. (laughs) Have a blessed day. And everyone else, have a blessed day, and we'll see you next week. Listening to a moment of clarity on Wham Talk 1600 with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering. Be sure to tune in again next week right here on Wham Radio 